Hello everybody. Welcome to the 6th episode of VMware Runs on VMware podcast series about digital transformation where we speak with VMware IT thought leaders and get insights on how we achieve digital transformation at VMware. I'm Sarita Kar, Senior Manager at VMware IT and your host for this series. In the first 3 episodes you heard CIO Jason Conyard, IT CTO Jerry Ibrahim and head of engineering and architecture Rupa Raj talked about the organizational impact, the foundational decisions and the SaaS mindset that is so essential for digital transformation. In the last episode we went into the details of how VMware IT built, runs and manages the modern app platform powered by VMware Tanzu to listen to the previous episodes check out the podcast in the resources section of our VMware on VMware microsite today we will discuss the imperative topic of security when we talk of digital transformation and moving to multi cloud more often than not the one thing that holds companies back is security Companies always worry and rightly so about how can we secure our applications on the cloud and how can we give the same confidence to our customers that their data is also secure on the cloud For this critical topic I am honored to have with me today two stalwarts from VMware security team Craig Savage Director of Information Security Strategy and Bharat Etsu director of security architecture so let's dive in into our conversation welcome craig and bharat hey thanks arita hey thanks yeah welcome so craig most companies are very serious about securing their systems yet we still see so many of them falling prey to cyber attacks so what could be the reasons for this well sarita One of the main reasons really is they still have a legacy mindset when it comes to security. And what I mean by that is they haven't focused on the core pillars of cyber hygiene and we'll speak a bit more about that later. They have a very reactive approach to security, so they're very much looking at, you know, what happened rather than what's happening, which is a big difference as you move towards, you know, if you think cloud's all about real time, cloud's all about, you know, immediate results. and yet security is all about what happened yesterday <laughs> and that really that mindset approach to how they approach the security in their organization you know they're looking at protecting the perimeter they're looking at protecting with basic protections their endpoint you know they're not looking at modern security approaches in the same light as they're looking at modern multi cloud applications and that's what's kind of holding them back the other big thing we've noticed recently Uh, certainly the log4j incident at the end of last year uh, there's a real tendency for big organizations to wait for a patch rather than mitigate a security threat immediately and we had to encourage a number of of customers and you know we saw our industry peers doing the same to focus on mitigation rather than waiting you know in the traditional security model for a vendor to release a fully tested patch because while you're waiting for that patch your systems are vulnerable 
and our adversaries are significantly faster and more equipped now than they were 10 years ago in fact even than they were a few years ago and so you know the i think this is one of the key reasons we see cyber attacks being successful still in organizations is they don't have an end-to-end -end security model they don't have a mindset that enables them to go out there and actively look for stuff that's not the way it should be and so they fall prey to these cyber attacks Hey, thanks, Craig. I think uh, that is uh, definitely something a lot of us have suffered from in the past. I remember the Log4j incident. Definitely, I see what you mean there. And typically, a reactive approach is what most companies have been following for security. And definitely, a proactive approach, as you stated, is something which will help us in the long run. And Log4j was pretty much proof of that, right? And no point in securing the house after a burglary, uh, to put an analogy there. Indeed. But thank you. Thanks, Greg. So, Bharat, we hear a lot of our buzz around the zero trust model. And this seems to be the go-to security model for moving to multi-cloud. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, sure, Sarita. The philosophy and the concept of zero trust has been there for some time now. And in today's hyper-connected world, uh, its relevance has been raising. So Zero Trust is not a product. So rather I would say it's a security framework which is based on the principle as you all know, or at least most of them know about, like the principle never trust, always verify. So it is a conditional access control model that requires continuous verification before allowing access to any application and also following the least privilege access principle. So in today's digitization landscape or due to rapid digitization, the key is to place security controls and policy decision points closer to the resources. I would say the five pillars of the Zero Trust are device, user, application, transport, and data. So when we establish the trust between or across all these five pillars, then we will have a better visibility and the controls around it. So I would say this is more of, I mean, the concept of zero trust. And when it comes to the multi-cloud environment, there are some challenges observed. So each service provider, the cloud service provider comes with their own security policy management, diverse network topologies and security models and the management environment differs, distributed workload, and there is no proper traffic visibility across on-premises environment and multi-cloud environment in case of hybrid infrastructure. So the approach to implement zero trust in cloud environment should consider mainly, I would say, on the micro-segmentation to reduce the attack surface <clears throat> and integrating the security into the workload itself and establish the map the, and the relationship between the applications and the underlying system to understand the traffic flow and the access right and enable only the access on needed basis. So with the implementation of Zero Trust architecture, enterprise can expect a better sense of the attack surface and it can improve the identity and access management practices as well. Hey, thanks, Bharat. And I love that. Never trust, always verify. You know, that's what I used to say to my kids about strangers when they were younger. <laughs> and it makes so much more sense, right, in the hybrid cloud environment. 
and all the steps that you outlined definitely provide a means to give the end users more confidence in moving to multi-cloud. I mean, I know we use uh, micro-segmentation on NSX as a means to secure our production systems and for our listeners, you can read up more about it in our blogs. Yeah, it's that's one main... of the NSX is yeah. the one like mainly used for the micro-segmentation and we are extensively using that in the multi-cloud environment. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Bharat. Uh, Craig, uh, I know we spoke about the proactive approach. So, how can we proactively monitor our cloud applications? And I've heard of threat hunting. Is, is threat hunting really a thing? Like, what actually triggers a threat hunt? Well, sweetie, yes. And I mean, you've just heard Barath give an excellent explanation of zero trust. So, if you step that up, if you like, to well, how do you do that in the cloud? Um, you've got to think. You've got a cloud application. What you're looking for when we talk about proactively monitoring is firstly, have you investigated the vendor tools? So the cloud platform normally provides a great number of monitoring tools for your cloud application, whether that be you know on-prem cloud, multi-cloud, public cloud, whatever. And have you implemented them correctly? So this this is the investment piece that most teams seem to miss is that you need to give your people time and training to make sure they know how to use the tools to correctly monitor the cloud application. And I'll use an example here. A lot of people think of uh, one of our products, uh, vRealize Operations, um, that's kind of the on-prem version. Cloud Health is is an analogous version for cloud workloads, right? That tells you the activity that's happening on your platform. Correct. A lot of people would think, oh, that's that's not a security tool. That's just telling us, you know, disk utilization and IO and IOPS and stuff like that. Well, if you think about a classic ransomware attack, the first thing that happens during the ransomware attack is you see a lot more disk activity. You see a lot more CPU activity. Well, if a you know clever security operation was monitoring those what would be traditional operations, you know, IT operations logs they had noticed that uptick in activity and immediately have detected an anomaly on that platform. Um, and this, this is where we're moving when we say with proactively monitoring is looking outside of that security tool set, you know, that terrible phrase outside the box, right? <laughs> um, thinking about how can we use other things that we already have to, to leverage a better security environment. And one of those very much is the, right, how do we detect early detection of an anomaly on the platform such that we can take action. And tools like that are what helps in that place. We use VMware Secure State uh, extensively. That drives a consistent deployment of our cloud workloads and ensures that they remain compliant. So that's the other side of proactively monitoring is ensuring it stays the way you originally built it. Threat hunting, well, Yes, we we do threat hunting. Uh, I would say probably most large corporations do. Uh, what triggers the threat hunt? Pretty much anything. Um, the the idea is you have a team of highly skilled um, offensive security engineers and analysts, and they have free reign. Uh, their goal is to find um, weaknesses in your environment and means to correct those weaknesses. So it could be an email. And it could be, you know, Barath sends the team an email saying, hey, I've noticed this, you know, thing on our network. What is it? And they'll go and 
you know, investigate. Uh, we've noticed this normally in the logs. They'll go and find out what was happening there. And generally, they just hunt around the environment um, looking for stuff that's happening. So threat hunting very definitely is a thing. It's pretty much the, uh, you know, without getting into the scaremongering, uh, it's pretty much the only way you're going to find things like the highly advanced cyber actors um, or, you know, nation state actors on your network because uh, they won't be tripping the usual security controls, right? Those, those are the amateurs that fall prey to the standard security stuff. Um, so your threat hunting team is really the people that are out there looking for the rogue actors on your network, possibly looking for insider threat, um, and generally just trying to make sure you know, that you're not resting on this state of, oh yeah, everything's secure, we're fine. The point of that team is to look for where you're not fine and improve it. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that insight, Craig. And that all sounds like so much exciting stuff, you know, and it is an eye opener for me too. Uh, you know, I know of we realize operations, of course, we use it extensively for all our operations and monitoring all our applications. I never knew that the security operations center uses it for checking security threats also proactively. So that's definitely a first. There's so many different ways we could use we realize operations, right? Indeed. It's a very powerful tool. Good stuff. Hey, thanks. Thanks for that, Craig. And moving over to you, Bharat. What are the best practices for security controls and governance for optimal business operations on the cloud? Yeah, what sure. Well, yeah. To operate our workload securely, I would say we need to apply the best practices at every layer. Okay. And yeah, taking the requirements and processes that we have already defined at, a, at an organization and at the workload level, use them and apply to all these areas. And also staying up to date with the industry recommendation and threat intelligence helps us to evolve our threat model and control objectives. So to name a few, the best practices I would say is like ensure we have strong authentication and authorization mechanism, or use and store secret securely, ensure audit and logging is enabled and pushed to the centralized log aggregator. And as Craig was talking about on the proactive monitoring, we need to have a capability on the real time detection that plays a major role being more proactive. And also for the protecting the infrastructure, implementing micro segmentation would reduce the attack surface I mean, we use NSX and we have micro-segmented and that's drastically reduce our attack surface and also other means by hardening the operating system as well and performing the vulnerability management, finding out the vulnerabilities and remediating those. Those also are some of the best practices and then validating the software integrity has some mechanism to validate the software code as well and ensure data is protected at rest and in transit. And I would say on the incident response side, we need to have a well-developed incident management plans, having forensics capability and the containment capability. Automation also plays a major role 
So automating all these security processes, testing and validation will, will allow us to scale our security operations. Yeah, I would say these are some of the best practices. Just Hey, thanks, Bharat. And that was pretty comprehensive, you know, and I'm sure our listeners have gained valuable information here. Uh, these are all things that we can apply on uh, the, our security models. And uh, I'm sure this incident management plan is something which we found out when we were working on the Log4j. We did have an incident management plan and that was vital in ensuring that we were able to do all the patching, etc. for all our applications when we had Log4j last year, right? And automation is definitely something that we are focusing on. So thanks. Thanks for that, uh, Bharat. And uh, now back to you, Craig, going forward, what would be your advice to companies to follow so that they can be completely secure on the cloud? <laughs> thanks, Sumita. Well, completely <laughs> secure. All right. Um, so all out, <laughs> <laughs> well, how to be pretty confident you're secure let's put it that way because you can never be completely secure while stuff's connected to the internet sadly um so the thing is Barat's given a really good overview of the key areas and I'm going to sum those up in just a second but I would say keep your program realistic it's very easy information security to to just try and do too much all at once uh, you know everyone talks about boiling the ocean or you know, and my favorite, because I, I grew up in Africa, is, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Well, you eat an elephant <laughs> one bite at a time, right? <laughs> um, <clears throat> and it's the same with information security. You need you need a pragmatic plan and you need a very focused um, set of goals that you're working towards. And that's how you move yourself to security. And the way we did it at VMware is we started with what we call our five pillars of cyber hygiene. Um, you know, Baras kind of touched on some of those. You know, focus on encryption. You need to make sure your devices are encrypted, your traffic's encrypted, and any data at risk is encrypted. Right? That's that's key number one. Pillar number two is identity. You know, as Baras spoke about, making sure you can authenticate and authorize users correctly. Um, are the people that should be able to access the data able to, and are the people that shouldn't not able to? Key pillar number two. <clears throat> Number three is applications. Make sure that your corporate applications are patched and only accessible to the correct users. Again, no surprises, right? Someone in sales should not be able to access the compensation system. Uh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> okay, same principle. Privilege control. Now, we hear a lot about privilege control. And the thing is, one of the biggest... Uh, vectors for cyber actors to move laterally into your environment is what's called credential dumping. So what happens is they hack your laptop and the first thing they do is they dump all of the user accounts and password hashes on your laptop and they try and crack those passwords that they've now got usernames and passwords. And what they're really looking for is a privileged credential. They're looking for an admin account or a root account or something like that. So one of the best ways to stop that activity, that attack vector, is make sure you never have any privileged credentials on end user devices. Um, so that's what we're talking about in privilege control. You know, keep privilege to the privileged areas on your network. So use things like BDI, use things like APIs, use things like jump boxes, 
stop your privileged users from accessing key systems directly from their endpoint. That's a huge vector closed. And then the fifth pillar is network access. Again, you know, we've talked about this a little bit as well. Uh, this has been a big ticket for us. How do you make sure that only the people who should be on your network are on your network and absolutely no one has direct access to your core network? So those are the five pillars that we started with. And then we extended this into what we call our seven step program. So at VMware, we had seven steps that we started before Zero Trust became a thing, believe it or not. Um, but we now realize that what these seven steps are doing is basically building the, the excellent foundation we have today uh, for our Zero, Zero Trust framework. So there we started with, you know, and there'll be no surprises, these tie back to the five pillars, right? Core infrastructure services hardening. So that's things like DNS, DHCP, Active Directory, do you use it? Um, making sure that those services are hardened, only accessible on the relevant ports, and again, no direct access from an end user, except obviously on the service port. Uh, we use Workspace ONE extensively, so uh, we had a, a whole step. The step two is focused on Workspace ONE compliance and enforcement, so making sure our managed devices were at the correct patch level, running the correct applications, you know, everything that there was managed. Our third step was VPN deprecation. So, you know, 15 years ago, it was a, a great idea to have a VPN that was always on and connected your users to the network. Uh, now, in today's world, that's that's really not such a great thing because <clears throat> it's basically a direct tunnel from an end user device onto some part of your network, which is, you know, fundamentally against the zero trust model. So we are actively moving away from having uh, any sort of VPN dependency for our applications and services. Another big step, and no surprises, this got accelerated by uh, COVID. <laughs> we were looking to change how our offices worked. So like most big corporations, we have Ethernet ports at most desks in our office environments. And we also have a very good Wi-Fi implementation. And so something we wanted to do was disable the Ethernet ports and mandate Wi-Fi connectivity because that network connection is much easier to manage and secure. And uh, obviously with everybody working from home, we were able to accelerate that project quite significantly. So that was pillar for, uh, step four. Step five um, was basically getting all the users off, our, off the network. <clears throat> so basically no matter how a user accesses VMware services or data, it's as if they're coming from the internet. And this is obviously linked to the creating Wi-Fi access only. And we like this, it sounds cool. We created network blast chambers, <laughs> right? So what is that? That's basically a NSX uh, micro-segmented pod. <clears throat> and we use that for our, our colleagues in R&D, our colleagues in global support. Uh, basically anywhere where you need to run a non-compliant um, platform or service or you know, set of tools, um, goes into one of these locations and we don't <clears throat> we monitor the perimeter but we don't mind what you do inside there because the reality is our products make sure that nothing that's in that containment area can escape and this allows us you know to support customers who may be running all the versions of our products please don't please patch <laughs> you know it allows us to run new versions of our product that we that we need to do and obviously with our security business unit allows them safe places to test 
malware detection capabilities, etc. And then the last, which again I spoke about a few seconds ago, was enforcing the VDI or API level access for admin level activities. So those are the seven steps, and I hope you see there that they, you know, they were really focused, pretty simple, easy to explain, and those are the seven steps that kind of moved us from that legacy security mindset into this new world of, you know, multi-cloud, <laughs> hyper-agile security. Does that help, Sabrina? Yeah, absolutely, Craig. And I do love your honesty there, you know. <laughs> I And what you said is so true, you know. Um, I mean, I would really like to do everything I can to secure my systems and uh, all on cloud. But at the end of the day, I do need to take a realistic approach and what I can do and uh, when, right? I need to prioritize and pretty much all that you said covered all that I would want to do, but I think there is also prioritization there, especially the segregation of duties, the access management, and the network has always been a challenge, right? You know, data yeah. in transit, data at rest. So good stuff, but thank you. Thank you for that, Craig. Sure. And over to you, Bharat. Now, looking ahead, how do you think security will evolve in future for multi-cloud operations? Yeah, sure. I would say the future of security is being shaped by the need for companies to secure their network, data, devices, and identities. This includes even adopting zero trust architecture framework, which will help companies to secure their internal information systems and data in the cloud. With a huge increase of new threats, Today's security landscape has become more complex than ever. Security also needs to continue to evolve as new technologies or apps and devices are developed faster than ever before. And I would say security should be tightly coupled to all the pillars as we, as, as we said before, like device, user, data application and transport. And another one of the major thing, even what we are focusing here also, there is a need for security automation. And the security automation is rising as manual processes and limited information sharing capabilities slows the evolution of secure implementation across many organizations. The future is bright for the security industry as many companies continue to develop new technologies to guard against ever evolving threat landscape. Government rules, regulations, and security procedures will also continue to evolve to keep up with emerging technologies and the rapid number of threats across both private and public sectors. Well said, Bharat. And as the landscapes become more complex, you know, and tech footprints expand, it is imperative for companies to be more aware of the security challenges and proactively address the same. To conclude, today we had a fruitful discussion on security in the multi-cloud environment we learn what to do and what not to do so that we can stay protected from cyber attacks. We discuss the five pillars, the best practices for optimal business operations on the cloud and the need for automation, which would definitely take the security operations to the next level. And this brings us to the sixth end of the sixth episode of Digital Transformation. So thank you, Craig and Bharat. Thanks, Sarita. Thanks, Sarita. Thanks again. It's been truly an honor to host you both today. 
and I'm sure our listeners have gained valuable insights on how to handle security in the multi-cloud environment. We hope you liked this episode and if you did, please drop a comment below. We will be back with another IT digital transformation story in the next episode of this series. Check out the previous episodes on our microsite under resources. Just click on the podcast. Stay tuned.